How are y'all today? It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to, to be here at Arcadia Valley Chapel, um, and I just want to thank you for the opportunity. If I, if I don't know you, my name is Aaron Boving, and I am the U.S. Director for a ministry called Bethlehem Christian Academy. Now, who has at least heard of Bethlehem Christian Academy? Most, most everybody, and um, I, I knew that was the case, but uh, I wanted to at least share a little bit of an update with you about the ministries and how things have been going over the past year, and, and even how, um, as everything, how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected our ministry as well. But we're also going to look at a passage of scripture as well here in a little bit, but let me first give you an update about the ministry of Bethlehem Christian Academy. I'm going to pass out these, um, these brochures, and just uh, I'll just start half here and half over here. So for those of you who don't know. All right. See if my clicker's working here. There we go. All right, so first thing, I want to say thank you to Pastor Mike. Um, I consider Mike a good friend. He's always been so kind to me and my family in the years that we've known him and being here and living in the valley. And so I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. But I want to thank you as a church because whether or not you realize it or not, y'all sponsored this little child to be a part of our school in Zambia, Africa. His name is Emmanuel Mwape. He is in the first grade, and you sponsor him to be a part of our school in Zambia. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that means to, to be a part of Bethlehem Christian Academy. Um, but he lives in a village called the George Compound in Zambia. So this is a picture of the village, and this is not his home, this is a different child. But this is a, this is a, a home in this village. So as you can see, it's a very, very poor, impoverished area. Uh, many of the children in these areas are or orphans. They've lost a, a mother or a father for, for various reasons, or living uh, with an uncle, an aunt, a grandmother, whatever it may be, in very poor conditions. There's, not, there's no running water in the George compound. There is some electricity that has just started to come here and there, but by and large, there's no electricity as well in this village. Very poor conditions uh, in which this child, Emmanuel, goes to school. But I want to share with you some statistics about the poverty in Zambia, Africa, just so that you get a sense of what I'm talking about here. So look at this. In, in Zambia, which where we have two schools, two Christian schools in Zambia, up to 86% of the population are below the poverty line in Zambia. Illiteracy in the rural areas is as much as 90%. So as much as 90% cannot read. Um, and where we've started our schools in Zambia are more in the rural areas. Between 35 and 50% of children are malnourished, don't have enough food to eat, um, and are suffering the consequences of that. They'll literally come to school with the, the stended bellies that you see sometimes because of malnourished. Their hair will be so dry that it can literally break off, just the poverty that you see there. 40% of the people don't have access to clean water, right? no running, running water, or adequate sanitation. And there's an estimated 1.3 million orphans in Zambia, over 700,000 due to the HIV epidemic um, that was several years ago, which is almost 8% of the total population are orphans. So it's, it's a country that's been ravaged, third world country that's been ravaged by 
poverty that's been ravaged by disease, many orphans, many of these children, as I said, have lost a mom and dad. And so it's within this context that the ministry of Bethlehem Christian Academy was started about 10 years ago. And the, the, the heart of our ministry, I want to share with you our, our mission is this. Our desire, our ministry is that we want to share the hope of Jesus Christ with these orphans and with these impoverished children through gospel-centered Christian education with the goal of two things, making disciples and planting churches. So the heart of our ministry, what we want to do, we've started Christian schools in these poor, impoverished villages in Zambia in order to educate these children, which is a way out of poverty. We feed them a meal every day at school uh, so they have food in their belly so that they aren't malnutrition. And then most importantly, it's a way of sharing the hope of Jesus with them. And so we've partnered with church planners in Zambia to start a, not only these schools, but a church at each location. So as the gospel is preached, as these children come to know the Lord, they're then able to be plugged in into a healthy church where they can grow and learn more about Christ and learn God's word. And so that's the heart of our ministry. It's what we're doing for children like Emmanuel um, and many others. Right now we have about 350 students between two schools in Zambia, between right now between kindergarten and the ninth grade. About 350 students where we're doing just this Giving these, chan- giving these kids a hope, giving these chance- kids a chance for a better future. Now, I want to share with you a video that really summarizes our approach. It shares more about our mission, um, then we'll go from there. So let me see if I can get this video to play. It's their volume. ...of caring for the poor, the orphan, and the most vulnerable in our world, especially children. Yet, how do we do this? How do we care for the body, the mind, and the soul of the least of these while also sharing with them the hope that's found in knowing Jesus Christ? Bethlehem Christian Academy's mission is to share the hope of Jesus Christ with orphans and impoverished children through gospel-centered Christian education with the goal of making disciples and planting churches. We carry out this mission in three ways. It starts with Christian education as a pathway to plant churches through partnerships with missionaries. We then support this ministry through mobilizing the church to be on mission. At its core, we keep the gospel at the center of all we do. Because it is through Christ's poverty that we become rich, and through Christ's sacrifice that we are adopted through faith in Him. Our ministry begins with this desire to give each child a distinctly Christian education through our child sponsorship program, in which children are educated and given nutritious meals every day at school. Our schools are the main vehicle for reaching the orphan and the poor with the gospel so that children will be equipped for the future vocations and a life in submission to the gospel. Because our schools at their core are a church planting strategy, our end goal is not simply a Christian education. Our end goal is the same as the church. It is making disciples and seeing those disciples follow Jesus in healthy churches. At each one of our schools, we have partnered with missionaries in order to plant a church and cultivate the gospel in the schools and community. We believe the Great Commission was given to the church. Therefore, we seek to serve and empower local churches in fulfilling Christ's command of being witnesses to the end of the earth. We partner with theologically aligned churches to mobilize with us on mission trips that support the work of our schools and church planting efforts. This is the mission and ministry of Bethlehem Christian Academy. And here is how you can help. Pray. 
Join with us in praying for God's will to be done through the ministries of BCA. Support. Sponsor a child or donate in other tangible ways. Go. Join us on a trip and experience firsthand what God is doing through BCA. Share. Tell your church, your family, and friends about how they can support the ministry of BCA. Will you join us in sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with orphans and the poor? Learn more at bcaministries.com. All right. Well, that shares a little bit more about just our, our hope, our desire, and what we're trying to do through our ministry. Again, uh, just a way of, of sharing the hope of Christ with these, with these children, with these children in great need. Now, as you can imagine, and as has been the case here in the United States and all over the world, our ministry has been impacted by the pandemic of the coronavirus and COVID-19. And so I wanted to share with you an update of what that's looked like for us and our ministry uh, over the course of the year as, as things have happened. But just like here in the United States, uh, if you remember in the springtime, all the schools were closed down here in the United States, and it was the same case in Zambia as, as well. So at the end of, the, end of March of this year, the Zambian government said because of the coronavirus starting to come into the country, they said all of the schools have to be shut down. And so that was uh, an intimidating thought for us because these children come to school every day and receive that meal, and they're receiving this education. And so what does that look like for us as a ministry that they can no longer come to the school? And so what we did and what our team in Zambia was able to do was still be able to get food to the students and even deliver some school homework uh, to the villages. And so our team in Zambia has been faithfully working every month to bring, you can see some pictures here, of just some, some dry foods um, so that they can have food that will ultimately help their family as well uh, throughout the month. And so we've been delivering food. We've also been delivering some basic schoolwork so that they can still continue with some education. Obviously, as you can imagine, it's not what they would get as they would be coming to school, but we've been delivering some, some schoolwork as well. And we've also been able to deliver some basic hygiene um, materials such as masks and some hand sanitizer and some different things like that are to our children as well. But the COVID-19, just like here in America and really all around the world, it's affected our ministry, but the Lord uh, is sovereign. He's in control of it all, and we're trusting him uh, for it. I want to share with you also, even though the schools have been closed largely, they did allow for us, the seventh and the ninth grade classes to return. Now you say, well, why just the seventh and the ninth grade? Well, in Zambia, the seventh and the ninth and the twelfth grade, we don't have a twelfth grade class yet, but for us, it's the seventh and ninth grade. Those are examination grades in Zambia. So what that means is the end of the year, they have to take tests in order to be able to go on to the next year. And so in order to avoid uh, really uh, an educational crisis, they allowed just those examination grades to come back to school in order to receive their education so that they could take those tests and avoid that, really, that crisis in the country. Now, here's, some, here's a picture of our seventh grade on the right and the, some of our ninth graders on the left. Now, that picture of the child there looking at the computer screen, for us in the United States, that, that looks like no big deal, right? But you've got to remember, these are children living in that village George Compound, out in the bush of Africa, but now are learning computers. Why are they learning computers? Because 
We want in the secondary education, which is the 8th grade to the 12th grade, we not only want to give them academic education, but we want to also give them vocational training so that they can, when they graduate high school, Lord willing, they'll be able to get better jobs so that they'll be able to move out of poverty. And so part of their training is receiving computer training um, so that they can learn about the computer, so they can learn how to do things like Microsoft Excel and emails and all those different types of things as well. Also in the secondary school, they're receiving agricultural training. They're receiving hospitality training and basic home economic skills as well. Again, so that they will be better equipped for their vocations. Uh, Lord willing that they'll go into one day. And so our 7th and ninth graders were able to return. They were able to receive food um, at the school again. And we're hoping, we're praying that maybe within the next month or so, the, the Zambia is going to allow the rest of the students to return. We don't know and likely the government doesn't know. In fact, cases in Zambia, kind of like here in the United States, are starting to rise. And so in that culture, if it really took off, it could be very devastating. And so they're being very careful. So we don't know when we're going to be allowed for the rest of the students to, to come back, but we're doing everything we can. Now, another aspect of how the COVID-19 affected us is we had to cancel our trips uh, that we take every year to Zambia. Um, I know, in fact, I know talking with Pastor Mike, he, he may have invited y'all as a church to, to come on that trip, some of those trips this year. Well, you lucked out because they were canceled anyway. We, we weren't able to go, unfortunately, which was devastating for us because we've been going to Zambia for about 10 years as a ministry and supporting the work and meeting children that you sponsor and, and just sharing the love of Christ in those way. But So those were... Those were canceled, but Lord willing, next year in 2021, we'll be able to, to get back to Zambia and continue doing that. And so before we look to a passage of Scripture, let me just share with you a couple of ways you can, you can be involved. That's just a brief overview of our ministry. Uh, I'll stick around. I've got a table in the back there in the foyer with more information and some children that can be sponsored even if you're interested in that. But I ask you to keep praying. Again, I know AV Chapel is, is on board. Parkland Chapel is a partner with us. The chapel at Terradalac Ter as well in, in this area, all partners with BCA. And we ask you to keep praying for the ministries. Pray for these children. Uh, again, as you can imagine, COVID-19, if it really started to, to spread, it could be devastating. And so pray for the safety of these students, our faculty, their families. Uh, pray for the gospel to continue to go forth. So pray for us. Another way, again, you can, um, you can sponsor a child. Uh, again, as a church, A.V. Chapel sponsors Emmanuel to, to come to the school. It means that, that he's receiving a Christian education. He's learning math and science and English and all these different things taught from a biblical perspective. He's being fed a meal and now being delivered food. Um, and most of all, he's, he's learning about Christ. He's learning the Bible. He's learning about the hope of the gospel. And so you can sponsor a child for $36 a month. So maybe you've thought about sponsoring a child, or maybe you already do in, a, in some other organization, whatever it may be. Our, pro our program works very similar to those other programs and sponsorship programs out there. And so, as I said, in the foyer out there, there's some children that need sponsors. And so maybe the Lord would lead you on, uh, to do that. Um, one final thing, other ways you can support another general donations or support the ministry. And I want to again invite you, and I know Pastor Mike has shared with you, but think about coming with us on a trip, maybe next year, Lord willing, if the COVID-19 and all that subsides, hopefully so, we're going to be going back to Zambia in 2021, and so pray about that, think about that as a church, how you might be involved and, and want to be a part 
of that ministry further. Um, so again, I'll, I'll hang out after the service and share more, but thank you for letting me give a quick update. And now we're going to look to a passage of Scripture. And Jesse, that's the end of my slides. But I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Travis, I thank you for your leading today because even one of those last songs really, I think, goes well with what we're going to look at today as the Lord often does, just about coming to Christ and finding hope in Christ. But we're going to look at a passage, Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. It's, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. I've never preached from it, so... Uh, it's first time to teach it, really, to preach from it, but it's an incredible passage of Scripture, probably familiar to many of you. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Let me read it, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So God's Word says, At that time, verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray again today. Our Father God, we do thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this church that loves your word, that loves to come together as a church, to study your word, to dwell in it, so that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would do that now. I thank you for A.V. Chapel. I thank you for Pastor Mike. I pray you'd, you would have given him rest as he's been away this week. And for Kelly and their family, pray that you just bless them. I pray you'd bless this church as they continue to minister in this valley and, and or even around the world. I thank you for their partnership with, with BCA and what they mean to us and the support that they give. And so, Father, we just pray now that you would open our hearts and minds to hear from you as we look to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I remember a conversation that I once had with, with a person um, several years ago. She, she was a person who was thinking about coming to Christ and becoming a Christian. She was a person that was very aware of her sins, and she knew that there were some things that needed to change in her life. She knew that there were some things that needed to be cleaned up, you could say, in order to live out the Christian life. She was aware of those things, and she was thinking about becoming a Christian. But sadly, those things in her life ultimately kept her from coming to Jesus because she felt like she needed to get herself cleaned up first before coming to Jesus. There was a sense in which she thought Jesus would only accept her if she somehow made herself right and straightened her act up before coming to Jesus. Yeah, you're laughing. Have, but have you ever run into people like that? Where they felt like that, that they've got to somehow make themselves right before coming to Jesus. 
But you know what? I think even as Christians, we can have that same attitude as well. I know even in my life, sometimes I can have that attitude. As Christians who have come to Jesus and been forgiven of our sins, received forgiveness, we can live and act in a way in which we think that we have to somehow then clean ourselves up again before coming to Jesus and staying close to Jesus in our Christian walk. We almost think that we come to Jesus as sinners, but then when we become a Christian, somehow Jesus doesn't accept us anymore. And when we continue in sin, and almost like he gets tired of us when we sin, or that he gets tired of showing us grace and mercy. Well, I hope you think, and I hope we can see today that that, that kind of thinking is totally backwards. That kind of thinking is totally backwards, both for the non-Christian who is considering coming to Christ and for the Christian who has already been forgiven of their sins and who is deeply aware of his sin. And what we see in this passage today is the very heart of Jesus, the very heart of Christ in which he doesn't get irritated with sinners and sufferers like you and I, but in fact, he calls sinners and sufferers to him. He doesn't get tired of showing grace and mercy, but with gentleness and humility and kindness, he makes himself accessible to us. The author, Dane Ortland puts it this way. He says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. But hear this, your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. So do you feel burdened today? Do you feel weary, tired, tired of your sin? Then I invite you to come to Jesus and find rest for your burdens. So let's look at this passage in two parts. First is this, we see the invitation, which is simply come to Jesus. Notice again in verse 28 here, if you have your Bible still open. Jesus says, come to me, who all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's first consider who it is that gives this invitation. Notice the invitation is not from an organization. It's not from an institution. It's not from a group of people. The invitation is from a person, the person, Jesus Christ. It's a personal invitation. It's not an invitation to come to a movement. It's not an invitation to come to some organization or government, but it's an invitation to come to Jesus, the person, Jesus, who is God himself in the flesh. Notice what Jesus says just back in verse 27. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me, who? By my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And notice this, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, the invitation to come to Jesus starts with the fact that Jesus must reveal that invitation to you. He comes to us first before we are invited to come to him. And the picture is that God the Father has handed over to the Son all of the authority, all of the power, all of the determination that who it is that will come to him, to come to the Father. You can only come to Jesus 
because he has sovereignly revealed himself to you by his grace and mercy. And he has graciously come to you and says to you, come to me, come to me. But then we see how we are to come to Jesus by his gracious invitation. And this is, I think, where we can get hung up. We can, we can get hung up with how we are to come to Jesus. Really, the invitation is clear, but we can get confused about how we are to come. So how are we to come to Jesus? First, we are to come to Jesus as a child, as children, as little children. Look back up at verse 25 that I read. Verse 25 says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, notice, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? To little children. To little children. Jesus does not invite the wise and the understanding to come to him. But he invites little children. So what does that mean? Are we to understand the fact that Jesus doesn't want people who are intelligent? Right? Is that what he's saying? What, what is he saying by that it's not for the wise and the understanding? How should we understand this? We should see, I think, that you can only come to Jesus when you recognize your need. When you recognize your need. I think the wise and the understanding that, that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the religious leaders of that day. He was talking about the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders who thought that they had it all together, who thought that they were wise, who thought that they were prestigious, who thought that they ultimately didn't need salvation. They were the respected of that day. And Jesus is saying, you can't come to me like that. You can't come to me thinking that you've got it all together. You can't come to me thinking that you've got your act together. But you've got to come like a little child without worry, without worry about what others think about you or how you look or anything else. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Coming to Jesus as a child, as a little child is required. So think about it this way. Think about it this way. I'm sure that many of you, most of you have seen a video on Facebook or the internet or maybe the news sometime. You know those videos where a soldier has returned home from being in the military and battle and he comes in or she comes in and he, he or she surprises his child that he's come home? Have you seen, anybody seen those videos? Okay. If you've seen a video, it's, it's hard to watch those really without tearing up, especially if you have little children. Because normally how it works is the, the children or the child doesn't know that the mom or dad has come home. And somehow the, the soldier sneaks in and then all of a sudden reveals himself to the child. And so what does that child do in that split second? What does the child do in, in that moment when he sees his father or she sees his mother or whatever it may be? That child drops everything and runs to his mom or dad. In that moment, the child is not thinking, how do I look here? You know, should I be a little bit reserved and make sure that I look prestigious before I come to my father? No. Do you think that child is caring or thinking anything about how he looks or whether he's wise and understanding or prestigious? No. The only thing that that child cares about is coming, going to his father and mother. And friends, that's how we are to come to Jesus. 
That's how we are to come to Jesus. The invitation to come to Jesus is not for those who think they've got it all together. It's for the little children that sees his father and runs to Jesus in order to find rest. The invitation is to little children who understand their great need for a father. That you must come to Jesus as a little child, putting your faith in Jesus. That's what it means to come to Jesus. Put your faith. It's an invitation to sinners like you and I who understand our need for Jesus and a Savior. So we must come to Jesus as children, but then also see here that you must come to Jesus as you are. As you are. Look again at verse 28. Here's the invitation. Come to me. Who? Who does Jesus say come? All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites a certain type of people. Who is it? The burdened and the weak to come to him. The burdened and the weak. And I think Jesus uses this language of the weary and the heavy laden because, again, of who he was talking to in that day. These were people who were burdened down with rules and regulations of the religious leaders of that day. Again, the the religious leaders, the Pharisees of that day, loved to throw on these people all the weight of this religious activity. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 4. He says this about the Pharisees. He says that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. That's what Jesus is saying about these religious leaders. And I think what Jesus' point is by saying the laborers who are heavy laden is he's saying that religious activity alone will never save a person, right? Following all the rules of religion will only weigh you down more and more. It will never save you. Hear what David Platt says about this. He says, these people were so burdened because they had failed over and over again to keep the law. And as leaders poured on more laws, the people felt more guilty. The weight of their sin became heavier and they could not stand under it. You see, Jesus is inviting people who have failed over and over and over again to him. Who feel the burden of their sin and feel that it is too great to bear. Some of you are probably familiar with the story, the book Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read that story, Pilgrim's Progress? Or There's several good uh, adaptations of it, even with movies as well. But if you haven't read it, the, the story Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory. It's really an allegory of the Christian life. And one of the, the main characters is actually his name is Christian. And so he, he's a, a symbolizing the, the Christian life and all the different trials and the, the different things that you go through. But at the beginning of the book, this man named Christian has this great burden on his back, this literal burden on his back, and he's trying to get it off of him, but he can't do it. And eventually in the book, it shows him being able to lose this burden in the pivotal scene, and he loses the burden when he comes to the cross of Jesus. Let me read the section from the book. It uses kind of some old English, but I think you'll follow. He says, it says, the book says, he, Christian, He ran thus till he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross. And little below in the bottom a sepulcher or a a grave. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from all his shoulders 
and fell back from his back and began to tumble. And so it continued to do so until it came into the mouth of the sepulcher, the grave, where it fell in and I saw it no more. That's the picture of losing the burden of sin. And what Jesus is saying here is the only way for your burden to be loosed is to come to him, to come to the cross, to come to the foot of the cross where Jesus bears the burden of your sin in your place on the cross. He dies as a sacrifice for your sin. And the only way that you can come to Jesus is burdened, weak, and worn out realizing that you can do nothing to remove that burden from your back. Nothing to remove your sin. Think of it again. You know, well, it, it reminds me again of the, the story of that woman that I tell you a few moments ago that I was speaking to that felt like she had to somehow clean herself up before coming to Jesus. That she somehow had to remove the burden on her own, not realizing that your burden can only be removed by coming to the cross, coming to Jesus. Think again of the example of a little child for a moment. Think of a child running around in your, your backyard and, and having fun, and then all of a sudden that child trips up and falls into a big mud puddle. And in that mud puddle, he's covered in dirt, but he's also hurt because he, he maybe he skins a knee or he skins an elbow. And so in that moment, the child is covered in mud, but he's hurt. And in that moment, what, what does the child do? Does he think, well, I've got to clean myself up before I come to my mom or dad. I've got to somehow go and change my clothes and take a shower and try to get all this dirt and grime and this mud off of me before I come to mom. No, he doesn't do that. The little child screaming, covered in mud, covered in blood, runs to his mother so that he could be healed so that he can be clean covered in mud and dirt and the mother gets the dirt and the grime all over her she's got blood on her but she doesn't care why because she loves her child she loves her child and it's the same way with jesus it's the same way with jesus when you come to jesus you come to the cross covered in dirt and grime and mud and the filth of your own sin and jesus doesn't turn you away he takes the burden he takes the burden and bears it for you, and he gives you rest from it all. He gives you rest from it all. Rest from what? Rest from carrying the burden on your own. Rest from trying to be wise and understanding. Rest from trying to meet all of the rules and the, of, the, of religious activity. Rest ultimately from trying to save yourself in your own power. He gives you rest from it all. He gives it to you. Notice you can't earn it. It's a gift. He gives it to you. He gives you rest. Rest means that your sins are forgiven, that the burden is removed. It means that you are in the arms of Jesus, safe, secure, and saved, free from your burden. So friend, today, have you come to Jesus? Has your burden of sin, do you still feel it on your back? Or have you come to the cross and been relieved and been given rest. That's the invitation. Come to Jesus. Put your faith in him. But then notice here, the instruction is learned from Jesus. The invitation is come to Jesus. The instruction is learned from him. Notice verse 29. Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, first, let's think about what Jesus means by the yoke upon you. He's talking about the yoke of discipleship. He's using this metaphor of a yoke as a metaphor for discipleship. You say, well, what is a yoke? Now, some of you probably know what a yoke is. It's really a farming technique. It's a, but more common in the day of Christ. But it was a, this, basically this heavy piece of wood that would have been put around the neck of an, of an oxen or a cow so that that oxen could pull a cart and plow the field. So the yoke was literally this heavy piece of wood that an ox would bear on its neck. But oftentimes, the, the yoke would be big enough for two, for two oxen. And so what they would often do is on, on one part of the, the yoke, they would put the stronger and the older ox who had already been trained. And next to that older ox, they would put the, the younger ox who was still learning how to follow the master. And so they would do this so that the stronger ox could teach the younger ox how to obey the master. He could learn from the older ox. And so Jesus is saying, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. This is a picture of discipleship. In other words, coming to Jesus is the first step, but the second step is following Christ in discipleship and learning from him to take on this yoke of discipleship, to submit to him, to learn from the master how to follow him. Now, in reality, again, this, this yoke is extremely heavy. It's a heavy burden that the ox would, would bear. But there's something different about this yoke that Jesus is talking about. It's different. It's not about the religious activities and the, the burden that the Pharisees were throwing on people, but it's different. And it's different because ultimately I think of who Jesus is. And we see a picture of his character. We learn what it means to be as a disciple of Jesus by looking at his character and then continuing to come to him as a Christian. So let's look at the character of Jesus in verse 29. Now, I want to say something. This verse 29, we see again the very heart of Christ. Did you know that in all of the New Testament, this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus himself speaks about his own character? Right? The, the, the Bible is full of talking about Jesus, but this is the only place where Jesus himself says, this is how I am. And he says several things about him. First, we see his gentleness. He says, I am gentle. Some of your Bibles may say the word meek. Now, when we hear gentleness or we hear meekness, some of us think that that means he was weak, right? That he wasn't strong or weak. But I want to change the way you think about meekness for a moment. Think about this example, because Jesus was not weak, Think about what meekness is. Think about a horse. Some of you are around horses sometimes, and some of you probably love horses. Horses, as you know, are very strong animals, right? They're incredibly strong. They can run incredibly fast. If they wanted to, they can buck you off. They can kick you and hurt you. They can do all kinds of things. They're very strong animals. But when a strong animal like a horse is trained, it becomes meek. It becomes gentle. It can be trained. And you can get on that horse, and it obeys your commands, and it goes where you tell him to go. And so that animal is not weak, but it is meek. It is gentle. It is in submission to its master. 
In the same way, Jesus is meek in the sense that he is submissive to his heavenly Father. He's obeying his Father's will of ultimately coming to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus submit himself to the Father, and in the same way, Jesus calls us as Christians to come after him and submit ourselves to him and to be meek in that way. You know, it's true, though, when, when we come to Jesus... We take on this yoke, even though we come with our burden and our sin, Jesus doesn't leave us in that state. But what Jesus does is he makes us more like him. He makes us more like him as we submit ourselves to him. And the fact that Jesus is saying that he is gentle, that he is meek, it's a way of saying that Jesus doesn't point the finger. When you stumble and fall as a Christian and you feel the weight of your sin and the heinousness of your sin, Jesus doesn't look to you and and point his finger and say, how could you? He isn't accusatory, but Scripture speaks about Jesus as our advocate, the one that is standing up for us and saying, no, he has been forgiven. Come to me. And as a Christian, we keep coming to the gentle one who doesn't turn us away, but with open arms welcomes us again and again and again. You know, the longer you're a Christian, the more heinous your sin becomes. The more you see your sin. Your sin becomes more heinous to you because you come to see more and more how holy God is and how gracious he was to save you. But you must remember that more you see your sin, you must also remember that Jesus deals with you gently in your sin. His arms are open. He delights for you to keep coming to him. One author puts it this way. He says, Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to him, irrespective of their particular offense and just how heinous it is. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. Whatever our offense, he deals gently with us. Jesus is gentle, but we also see here his humility or Your Bible may say something like lowly in heart. What does this humility and lowliness of Jesus mean? It means that Jesus is accessible. You know somebody who's prideful? They're not very accessible people. They're not typically very approachable people when they're built up with pride. Why? Because they think they're too good for you. They're they're filled with pride and arrogance. But Jesus is the opposite of that. He is humble. He is approachable. He is acceptable. He wants you to come to him. And when you come to Jesus, he says that you find rest. Every time you come to Jesus as a Christian, you find rest over and over again. You keep finding it. He is humble. He is gentle. But also we see here is kindness. Notice in what verse 30 says. Jesus says, for my yoke, again, this this discipleship, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, if you think about that, that almost sounds like a paradox, right? It sounds like these two things are contradictory. How can a burden be light? How can a yoke be easy? It almost sounds like it contradicts itself. So, surely this doesn't mean that the Christian life is free from anything difficult, Right? We all know that's not true. Christians are not immune from getting COVID-19. Christians are not immune from getting cancer. So when Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not saying that the Christian life is easy breezy. 
and that there's no pain, and that there's no suffering. No, he's not saying that. So what is he saying? This word for easy can also be translated as kind. In other words, my yoke is kind. And this means that when life becomes difficult and hard, Jesus is not unsympathetic to you. He's kind. Jesus is able to be kind towards you when you're going through difficulty and heartache and pain because he's been through it himself and he knows how to be kind to you in it. He can relate. You know, sometimes we can think about Jesus as if he's callous to our pain, as if he says, he looks at us like, come on, buck up, no big deal. I died on the cross. You can get through this. That's not how Jesus is. He's kind. He's sympathetic in our suffering and pain. He he says to us, the burden is light. How can a burden be light? How can a burden be light? But I think what Jesus means is that the burden is light because he's right there carrying it for you. This speaks to the fact that when you come to Jesus, he's always with you. And he never leaves you. John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. When you come to Jesus, he yokes himself to you. He doesn't remove the yoke. In fact, he carries it for you. And in the deepest and the darkest moments of your life, when you're going through pain, when you're dealing with the the consequences of your sin, Jesus is grieved, but he is not absent. He has not cast you aside. He does not get tired of dealing with you, but he is gentle and humble and kind as we keep coming to him over and over again. Jesus doesn't get annoyed with us. He doesn't say, buck up, get over it. But he is kind and gentle. When you come to Jesus, he bears your sins and your sufferings. He's with you till the end. He never leaves you or forsakes you. And my encouragement to you today is this. Come to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus in your sin. Never think that you must clean yourself up first before coming to Jesus because it is your burden that qualifies you to come. But as a Christian, never think that your sin makes Jesus tired of showing you mercy and showing you grace. His very heart, who he says he is, is gentle and humble, kind. Before we ever come to him, though, he first came to us. He came to us as a servant who gave his life on the cross. He bore pain like we would never imagine or could understand all making it possible for us to come to him. He lived a perfect life so that he could die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he comes to us. He seeks us out in our burden, in our sin, ravaged by the pain and the suffering and what brings us down in this life. And he comes to us and he says, come to me. That's the invitation to be a Christian. You can't clean yourself up And then come to Jesus. You come to him and he saves you and he gives you rest. So friend, here today, why don't you come to him and he will give you rest. Let's pray again today. Our Father God, we come before you again and we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you have shown us in giving to be 
giving him to be our, our Savior, the one who bore our sin on the cross. Father, I pray for one who might be here today that for whatever reason has not yet come to you in faith and been saved and been forgiven. I pray that they would stop making excuses, but they would come to you today and be saved. That they would turn away from their sin, put their faith and hope in you, Jesus, and be saved. Lord, I pray for the Christian who may be here today suffering. I pray that they would know in their heart and their mind that you invite them to keep coming and keep coming to you for gentleness, for humility, for kindness, for sympathy. Father, I pray your, your word would bear on our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.